As the guys come up, welcome to our annual elders Q&A. Sure is nice to be with you here this evening. Um, these are such a nice tradition at our church. You almost want to do them every month, but that good old need stop showing up. So we do them once a year. Every family, you know, has a tradition, weekly traditions, monthly traditions, annual traditions. This is one of our important traditions, a tradition we're committed to. Um, symbolically, it communicates something and hopefully makes clear something that we want to actually be the case and that is the case and that is that we're available to you as elders. The lines are open. There aren't bad questions. There aren't questions that we're afraid of. There aren't questions you can't ask. So by email, phone, in the halls, we're available to you and we do it in this big setting once a year and with our membership class uh, each, each uh, term when those come around. It also promotes a culture of honesty and vulnerability. Hopefully you'll hear us a few times not know an answer to a question or not have exactly a precise answer. Some of this uh, we've thought through, some of it we haven't exactly cooked all the way through. Um, and so you, in a way, enter into the life of our, our eldership in that fashion. It also allows us to get feedback from you. So over the last month, so you know what's going on, um, we've solicited questions from you. We've spent time with our community group leaders getting questions. We have done meetings with our staff and with our elders and deacons meeting, which we do once a month. And we've called together pages and pages of questions, many of them overlapping, uh, uh, which results in what, we, what we've got here tonight. So hopefully it will be fruitful for you, the time we've invested in uh, gathering questions and, um, uh, and you'll leave encouraged and we'll all be a healthier and happier church for it. Uh, we're going to start with prayer, then I'll give some format details, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Ken, can you pray for us? Thanks. Father, we do thank you that as we gather together, you are here in our presence. Uh, we do pray that your spirit would guide our discussion, our questions tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for this country you've given us free, that we can worship you without uh, fear of persecution, and yet that day may come. And I'm thankful, Lord, that uh, we have preaching here that focuses on the, the gospel, on your truth, Lord. We pray that we would trust in it uh, when that moment of persecution comes, that trial that comes into our life, Lord. I pray that we would be trusting in you. We just ask now, Lord, that you would guide this night in our discussion. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ken. Okay, so I'm going to say a few words about what eldership is. If you're new-ish to our church and haven't been through our membership class, where we spend quite a bit of time unpacking this, go to the membership class and get more. But in a few sentences, um, our church is led by a group of men who meet the biblical qualifications found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 um, of an elder um, who are able to teach. Um, uh, and we're responsible to you, for you, before God to shepherd the flock at Desert Springs Church. It's a serious task. It's a spiritual office. Each of us here are pastors. So we use the term elder but we're pastors. Elder and pastor are the same in the Bible. So uh, these are the leaders of the church, even if you don't see all of us in equal measure on a Sunday morning. Uh, we pray for you. We meet to discuss the business of the church and um, shepherd you, and we love you. Um, word about format. The evening will have two halves. So the first half will be questions that you've submitted already. We as an eldership have sort of got our eyes across some, and we had some discussions together as a group but then I sort of went in the hole and made assignments to questions and I only cued a few guys that they'd have a question coming. Part of that's to prevent them from talking too long if they have too much time to think about an answer. 
so we did, we did decide we'd try to be concise and they've given me permission to uh, signal them uh, if they go too long with the flashlight here in their eyes. And if that, if that, doesn't, if that doesn't work, it doesn't work. <laughs> if that doesn't work, I, I have this taco maker here that I got from Chris Sayers, which, which, should, uh, which should work. So, so we're, we're, we've got 30 questions. We've got 30 questions. We'd love to get, we'd love to get through them in the, first, in the first half hour. The second, the second half will be moderated by Nathan Sherman, who will walk around with a mic, um, Phil Donahue style, or Jerry Springer, or Ricky Lake, whoever was your talk show person back in the 90s. And he'll take questions that occur to you. So as, as you're listening, take note of questions you'd have by way of follow-up or questions that you have that weren't answered, you can ask. Um, that's, that's just fine. We'd invite those. Some disclaimers. We can't answer all the questions that you might throw out. So we've received many more than we'll be able to answer. In many cases, we've followed up with you in person. Some questions require more context uh, to answer well or just more time to answer well without raising more questions. So we... Trust that you're trusting us with that. There isn't a question that we received that we would hide from or that we're afraid to answer um, publicly. If we haven't followed up with you and your question isn't answered, follow up with one of us in person, please, and, um, and seek one out. That's no problem. All right, introductions. Um, we're going to go down the line quickly. We'll say our name, how long we've been an elder, and what was the last thing I was going to have you guys say? I had a good thing. Oh, your area of oversight. Yeah. Reminds me of Rick Perry forgot something and like lost the candidacy back in 2012 <laughs> over some dumb thing. Dumb's so, uh, gone. Um, so before I have them introduce themselves, two things. You won't see Na uh, Tim Ragsdale up here, who you saw last year. He's still an elder, but he's on sabbatical getting refreshed, which is a normal thing for elders to do after a number of years. And you do see a gentleman up here who is not a sub for Tim, but is not an elder yet, and that's Nathan Sherman. Nathan has got one month until his candidacy is up. And what that means is that for the last year, he's been with us participating as if an elder, but not with uh, that office. And if at the end of the next month, if there's no problem or concern that you raise about Nathan, then he'll be installed as an elder on a Sunday morning. And we're looking forward to that, Lord willing. Okay, so my name is Trent Hunter. I've been an elder for three years now, and I'm the pastor for administration and teaching and have a num my finger in a number of pies around here. I'm Ryan Kelly. Uh, I've been an elder for 12 years now, and I oversee preaching and worship services. I'm Ken Westman. I've been an elder for three years, I think. Um, memory's not as good as Trent's, but uh, deacons and family ministry. I'm Ron Giese. I've been here for eight years, and I'm the administrative pastor, which means I'm over the budget and staff and uh, ministries here at DSC. And I've got a favor. If I can have um, Bud <laughs> catch the doors over there and maybe Kelly or Joe catch the one over there. Um, just because I usually stand out there on Wednesday nights and, and help, and now I'm in here. And that way, if any of you have little toddlers or little kids and you need to go on the floor and let them toddle back and forth and Yelp once or twice, they can do that. And um, mm -hmm. anyway, better if the doors are closed. So thanks. Always trying to thanks, work on a reminder about those little kids. <laughs> so I'm Tim Bradley. And <laughs> can you guys hear that? I'm yeah, not. Oh, he doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he didn't motion me. Nathan, you can go, me? Nathan. I I'm Nathan Sherman. I'm not. I'm like Trent said. I've got one more, one, one more month left on candidacy. I've been on staff here for three and a half years, and I'm the minister of our youth and families. Awesome. 
Tim Bradley. I've been an elder for 10 years, and my area of oversight is biblical counseling and children and family ministry. And I'm Clint Moore. I can't really hear myself. There we go. Clint Moore, and I'm over missions and community groups, and I've been doing that for three years now. Cool. All right. So begins the first half. Uh, some starter questions first on eldership. Nathan, you're in process still of becoming an elder. How does someone become an elder at Desert Springs Church? Yeah, I think the eldership is always just observing our body to see who is already shepherding and shepherding well. Um, who are men in this church who are not only shepherding, but are exhibiting the qualifications as described uh, in First Timothy and in Titus and First Peter uh, for elders. Um, and so just always, always observing. Um, sometimes these men will approach the eldership, say, this is something that I desire, which is a, a, a good desire. Uh, so if there's a mutual interest, uh, that man will uh, enter into a short observing period where he'll uh, observe the, the elder meetings and begin reading a, a couple of introductory books. And then um, if all's going well, he'll begin a year-long candidacy where he'll be announced to the church at the beginning of that year and go through uh, quite a bit of rigorous application, uh, assessment process, reading, uh, where the elders will be determining whether this, this man is a good fit for eldership and if he, is a, if he wants to continue on um, into the process of eldership. And after that year, if there are no hesitations um, on either end, then he'll be installed as an elder. Cool. Um, one for Ryan. This is one of my favorite questions that came in. How can we as a congregation better practically encourage and love the staff and elders? Isn't that a great question? Yeah. All right, what would you say? Oh, man. Uh, well, number one, I would say we are encouraged. Um, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm thankful enough I could blow up if I was any more thankful. Um, <laughs> seriously. But, uh, but to, to take that question seriously, the number one way you can encourage your elders is to keep yourself from sin and heartache and apostasy. That's the hardest thing we have to do and the most heart-wrenching thing we have to do. Um, so your joy, your participation, your love, your, your service in this body, um, that's maybe the second-tier way in which you can encourage us the most, just not by focusing on us or, you know, giving Ken flowers or um, something like that. But, uh, man, what, what we need most is just your service, your love, your joy, your participation, um, communication, uh, patience, and uh, in your prayers, pray for us. Yeah. Sometimes I call this Disneyland of church. Uh, most of us have friends in ministry in other places, and in most cases it's harder. And it could get harder here one day, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Things are good right now. So thanks for the question, and um, do what Ryan said. Okay, so we're going to spend, a, spend about 10, 12 minutes on a section of doctrine here focusing on the sexuality statement, gender, marriage, and sexuality statement we released. You would have gotten that by uh, email on, uh, two, two weeks ago. Um, we've got it on the website. You walked in and hopefully got a copy of it. We'll have it all over the place. Um, this has been a process that we've gone through over the last number of months. Three, three things that are entailed with this, a short addition to our doctrinal statement which is entailed for membership and which you'll be accountable for come November 1st. Secondly, a one-page paper outlining what our church believes about gender, marriage, and sexuality, sort of more expanded. 
And then thirdly, a change to our wedding policy and some facility stuff. So I'm going to tick through each of those and ask some guys some different questions. Now, um, these, a lot of these questions were submitted by you all uh, in different settings that we've already inquired questions for. But I won't always, I won't say the name, who gave them, and I won't always say somebody submitted, but these are your questions. All right, so Ron, first, before we dip into the, each of the, the things, can you give us a quick overview of how we arrived here, the process that we went through to arrive at these changes as an eldership? The changes of the, what you just mentioned? Yeah. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> He'd be better at that than me, Trent. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, we haven't canned our answers and scripted them because, um, uh, I don't know, there are, all of you know that culturally there's just a, a whirlwind, a, a storm, I can't think of the right metaphor or word picture in our country. And so part of the way we've worded it as elders is that there are a number of things we assume that you as a congregation are with us on, meaning we're all on the same page. Uh, and one of those is a definition of marriage and a respect of gender as God, as God created it. So um, recently, because of what's happening in our country, that has to be spelled out. That assumption really can't be continued to be made as the years and, and as the years turn into decades as they go by. So um, it could be in future years we have to spell out other um, biblical teachings and affirmations to make sure that we're all on the same page. And hence the mentioning of November. If you guys read over this and have questions or if you think this isn't really what I signed up for, I don't agree 100% with what I'm reading, that gives you a month or so to talk to us, come in and chat. If you end up saying I disagree and I have to leave Desert Springs, there's no church discipline, there's no, you know, uh, uh, any kind of antagonism from our part towards you. Uh, but um, to keep it short, basically it's something we assume that we feel like we need to spell out now. There are secondary reasons like being, being able to communicate our beliefs to the community and the city around us so that there's no doubt there. And there may be a third level reason too in terms of renting or allowing our facility to be used and um, uh, making sure that it's not used for uh, a celebration of things that are against biblical teaching. Yeah. So let me go ahead and read the statement that's added to the statement of faith. I won't read the longer one. Here it is. We believe that God created human beings in his image in two embodied sexual kinds, male and female. We believe that God designed men and women to unite in marriage, which is complementary, involving one of each sexual gender exclusive and permanent. Uh, Ryan, what happens if someone's a member and they, they disagree with this? What should they do? I think Ron just answered that. Uh, come to us before November. Let's talk. We want to be able to explain ourselves further than we're able to um, in this short time tonight or on a blog post or newsletter article. Um, and someone could say, uh, I had a different uh, belief of marriage or gender than this, and when I signed a, a covenant of fellowship and assumed a statement of faith, there was nothing said about that, um, and that person would be free to, to move along. Yeah, but come November 1st, so this is really important, come November 1st, if this is a matter of conscience for you and you are not in agreement with this, this statement, then you would need to let us know ASAP. Um, sounds like we're hiding from conflict is a question that some have uh, aroused, almost like um, maybe do, by doing this, we are trying to avoid, avoid persecution or avoid a kind of suffering or avoid conflict 
Uh, Tim Bradley, what would you say to the person who sort of feels like this is a cowardly move in some fashion? Yeah, Ooh, we're definitely not trying to avoid conflict. Uh, in fact, in some ways, we, by making this explicitly clear, we actually put a bigger target on our church. But we are trying to safeguard the gospel ministry that God has entrusted to us. And we don't want in some naive or frivolous way that somebody may seek to attack Desert Springs Church because we're not clear on these things and therefore we're charged with something like discrimination, uh, which our culture is, is setting the laws in that. Uh, we want to continue on in gospel ministry and so we just want to be clear uh, we're not trying to cower behind anything. We're trying to be clear with our members, with our community, where we stand, what we stand for. And this has shifted in our culture. This used to be assumed, and this is no longer assumed. So this is, in our estimation, not cowardly, uh, but proactive uh, to safeguard gospel ministry and to be really clear on what we believe, why we believe it. Cool. Uh, Ken, would this affect how I operate my business, someone asked. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would. Um, you probably heard the story of the guy who, as a baker, uh, refused to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding and uh, they wanted to put him in jail. So I, I think there's a point at which yeah, we may need to take a stand in, in our work, whatever that field may be, uh, where we're not supporting um, these types of things that are, uh, go against the gospel, go against uh, the Bible. So, yeah, it, it, it could come to... To making those stands in our own work. Ryan, can you help us out with maybe how, how uh, people have different kinds of jobs where they may have different kinds of relationships with same-sex ceremonies or whatever. Can you help us? Uh, does it matter what kind of a job per a person has and how can they discern uh, how to faithfully be a Christian? Yeah, some vocations are going to face uh, trouble or tough decisions sooner than others. Um, someone who's in waste management won't have to deal with much, I don't suppose. Um, <laughs> someone who owns a printing company would uh, have to decide whether to print homosexual wedding invitations. Um, Trent, you had a, a great uh, grid for thinking about this uh, when you did that Saturday seminar on sexuality some months ago. You can find it on our website. Um, but Trent talked about there being a vertical access that goes from private to public, and then there being a horizontal access, remind me, that goes from pro uh, proactive so passive to, like, to active. Passive yeah. to active, right? Yeah. And so we're not as a church going to draw a line and say, here's the line. And so these jobs that do this are in sin, but every Christian has to think about whether this thing is overtly not just participating, but encouraging uh, a homosexual union, um, and, and whether it's public or less public. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's one way of thinking. That's the most useful thing, most useful tool I've seen for thinking about um, whether a Christian should do this, that, or the other. Yeah. There's a difference between the person cashing a check for a joint account on, uh, that is at the bank, uh, processing a check for uh, someone with a joint same-sex marriage account, and a person who's asked to photograph a couple and ask them to look cute. And, um, and so, and so uh, let, let me add this too. As we talk about this, there are different ways to come at 
the issue of same-sex marriage and same-sex attraction and all that. And we're sort of discussing it in a sort of a sterile legal way in a way, how we're arranging our docs. We have a seminar available on the website where for three hours we approach it from biblical perspective, from a cultural perspective, and then from an inside the church and how we grow as Christians. And even how we, as those who find within ourselves inordinate desires are to live faithfully as a Christian. So my encouragement to you would be to pick up some good books on it, consult us with it, feel very free to confess um, your own temptations in this area and to approach us with questions about how to, to live with respect to it, okay? Um, so I think it's an important disclaimer. A couple more questions along these lines. Um, Nathan, what resources would you point a family to who has a Christian, has children interacting with other kids and families who embrace a genderless vision of marriage or even have, um, for example, uh, two moms? Your, your kid is mixing it up with a kid who has two moms. Uh, I think you answered just a second ago, the, the, the best thing is just the local church. Um, not only any of us up here would be glad to talk through this, but um, your community group leaders or any other leaders of the church um, who have perhaps thought more um, thoughtfully um, or um, deliberately about these things. Uh, certainly the word of God, uh, apart from these, um, would be happy to, to suggest. And there, I, I think... Um, the church is better prepared today to think about this than perhaps we were 20 years ago. Uh, I think we're doing a better job at thinking about not only a vision for what marriage is and for, uh, but what gender and sexuality is and for. So there's, there's just been so much good stuff that's been coming out in the last two, three, five years. There's books, blogs, um, videos. Um, so we'd be happy to pass along those things. I will say this, uh, this is a conversation that you need to be having with your children um, soon, if not tonight, if you haven't. Um, we already have with our, our oldest, our five and six-year-old, about what marriage is and for. And um, So this is something that we, as parents, that we need to be diligent about. But we're also hopeful that perhaps uh, when our kids are 30, they'll even think more clearly about sexuality and gender than perhaps any of us do up here. So we're hopeful for the direction that the church is moving in its understanding of the gospel and of marriage. Amen. I do think these are, these are exciting times. Um, uh, I, I haven't personally, in my maybe 15, 20-year Christian life, had a more exciting time to think about something so basic that we're sort of assumed. And I haven't appreciated marriage for all the good that God provides us and in the world through, uh, through it. So take advantage of these years and the tension, the questions that are before you, they create to get clear on some things and, and praise God in your heart and mind for his good gifts. Tim, to the question of weddings in Desert Springs Church, we've had a change in wedding policy. Can you tell us what that is? And secondly... Can you tell us uh, what that might mean for some people who find themselves outside of what that policy would provide for? Sure. So the change in the wedding policy is that we're going to limit weddings or restrict weddings at Desert Springs Church to Desert Springs Church members. So that's effective immediately going forward. Uh, if you're not a member, it's a good reminder to, or an encouragement to become a member of Desert Springs Church, to go through the membership class. But we are gonna restrict it to members. Now, as ministers and pastors here at Desert Springs, we've 
we all have been licensed by the state to officiate weddings. And so nothing's really going to change there. Personally, any one of us or others who are either licensed or ordained among us uh, can do a wedding. So if you have a friend or a family member, if we have, ask us to officiate their wedding, then that'll be an individual choice for us to think through with them, talk through with them, work with them, and accept or decline. But in terms of official Desert Springs Church weddings, that will be limited to members. So implications would be for family members. Uh, maybe you have an adult son or daughter uh, who wants to be married and wants to be married at Desert Springs Church. Uh, the limitation will apply to them as well if they themselves are not members of the church. So they are not somehow grandfathered in or accepted uh, by association. Great, Tim. Yeah, so that'll, that'll create some awkward situations and maybe introduce some disappointments uh, to some folks. And we, we acknowledge that and we, we, we do regret that. So we didn't have this policy before we felt like we, we needed to. But it is, it is important that we aren't, we aren't making the decision, putting ourselves in a legally vulnerable position by making the decision whether or not to do a wedding here on our property on the basis of the kind of marriage it is. Uh, the Supreme Court's decision means that um, marriage legislation will fall underneath the legal rubric of human rights and civil rights so that it will be treated in a parallel way to the way race has been treated. And so churches who don't have, haven't been out front on this will be vulnerable. But, but as it is, churches that are faithful and getting ahead and getting clear and getting convictional on this will actually be blessed by God with protections from the very state that would that has religious freedom protections for churches. But we've got to be explicit if we're going to take advantage of those. Can I say something about that? Shoot. Uh, to, to go back to that question of is it cowardly to do what we've been doing? Are we maneuvering to cover our butt, so to speak? Um, it's, a, it's a slight loss to not have absolute freedom about what kind of weddings we do. Um, however, it keeps us from a much greater potential loss of like a whole church building or something like that where hopefully a lot of good things happen in this building. And so um, in the days ahead, we may not be um, able to navigate freedom like we would like. Uh, we may not have any choice. It may not be anything you can do to cover your, your butt, so to speak. But, uh, but there are some things you can do that protect other freedoms, and those freedoms are good. Uh, just read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 5. If you have any question about what the Apostle Paul thought about at least praying for and pursuing and, and, and freedoms to preach the gospel being a good thing. Um, and that's not a, you know, founding fathers kind of thing. That's an Apostle Paul kind of thing. And so that's all we're doing is trying to um, protect the free preaching of the gospel and practice of worship in this place. Um, and we are pinching ourselves, you could say, mm -hmm. in order to... Um, keep ourselves from something being cut off. Cool. Good stuff, guys. The process we went through is about six months long. We've been meeting, doing research. We've gotten legal counsel from Alliance Defending Freedom and from the Ethics, Religious, and, Lib Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, and our longer statement was read word for word by their policy director, and he had a little suggestion. So it's sort of, we've, we've been real careful about this, and we hope we've led you well. So let us know if you have any questions in person or in the open Q&A. 
Moving on to a different subject, ministry in general. So a number of questions fall under the, the header of questions about ministry. That was doctrine, now we're moving to ministry. Ken, here's one for you. It's just like I'm, I'm conflating several questions here into one. So this is sort of a recurring theme. DSC has a focus on age-specific segments within our church through 12th grade, but then it drops off. We don't have a specific ministry for college-age kids, and we don't have a specific ministry to singles. This seems like a mistake given the unique challenges and opportunities common to these people. Surely there have been people in these demographics who have come but maybe not returned uh, because they didn't feel they belonged and perhaps aren't even going to church now at all. Um, so why don't we have a college ministry and why don't we have a singles ministry? Yeah. Um, Let me add this. Maybe those are two separate questions and maybe they're not. Keep going. <laughs> but I, I can see the, um, the desire for people to gather with uh, like people. Just uh, if you've got young kids wanting to gather with others who have elementary school kids or uh, in a like season of life per se. But the way we had the community groups uh, ideally set up was where we'd have a, uh, a full mixture so that you'd have the grandparent type couples, the, the couples that have the high school students, the college students, the elementary, you'd have the singles, the college age kids, that we live life together just like we would in a family where you have grandparents and parents and babies and grandchildren and um, live like uh, life in that, in that manner. Um, so I, I think there's some real strengths to that instead of forming more of a, a click type group where this, this is where all the college kids hang out and this is where all the uh, young marrieds would get together and hang out. Um, but, but to be more dif diffused uh, in, into groups that we don't have a set ministry just for the, the college age kids. So I think we feel it's a, it, it's a good thing and yet people still will seek out um, their own associations and those types of things but I, I don't think we want to try and segregate it that way yeah. here. So we'd like encourage the flourishing of all kinds of get-togethers and offline Bible studies. Uh, adult age and up, it would be much less of a priority for niche ministries. So in general, we are we're moving folks into community groups. Something is lost for the, the Christian and the community group when niche ministries are primary. So even our men's and women's ministries have sort of a low-level hum around here. That they're, they're contained. The leader can't think up anything and, and have that ministry take up as much space as they like. They're, they're tactically, strategically put together to complement community group ministry and not compete with it. Some niche ministries come adult ages can do that. Let me offer this. We have had a college ministry in the past that was 300 deep in this room um, for various reasons. It just transformed over time and so we discontinued it. Um, but we've actually sought out a relationship with a college ministry organization that would help us do strategic work on the university campus here. So we're open to something like that, and these are always conversations we're willing to have. So I hope that helps. Um, another ministry uh, question, talking about community groups, Clint. Um, community, groups or community groups are dormant during the summer months. That's like 25% of the year. Seems like a long time. Seems like that does it. That seems to signal that community groups, for as much as we talk about their importance, are programmatically not emphasized mm -hmm. like some other ministries that run year-round. Yeah, it's worth clarifying that um, dormant's a pretty strong word for what they become. Some become more dormant than others, I think, in the summertime. Really, it's about the longevity and stability of that ministry, and more specifically, it's about our community group leaders. Uh, we love these guys and their wives and the sacrifice they make 
in order to help bear the, the burden and, and experience the joys of leadership with us. And so we're thankful for those guys. I'm looking at them some in the eyes right now across the room. And um, we want to give them a more official break during the summer. It's hard in the summer to get everybody together anyway because of schedules. So we just encourage them to offload that onto somebody else's plate during the summer and to make those gatherings a little more uh, socially oriented and less uh, leadership through a, a study. We would expect a leader to still engage his people um, while in church and, 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 and in those social times. But we want to give him a rest so that he can focus maybe even more on his family that summer and, and, and ministering to them in a unique way. And Jay Rush started this as an elder over community group several years ago, and we just kept it going. Ron, do all elders do counseling? It seems like these guys have different jobs, and uh, there's one guy doing counseling, but is counseling something that all elders are responsible to do and are doing? Uh, short answer for that, yes. All elders do counseling. Um, everyone up here I know, and see people come in and out of their offices. and um, So one-on-one -on -one marital uh, counseling, premarital counseling. Um, often T. Brad, Tim Bradley will assign that and coordinate it. And sometimes people might come to us, like a couple might come to Ryan and say, will you please counsel us? Ryan will go to Tim and say, is it okay? Tim will say, oh yeah, that sounds good. So it works in different ways back and forth, but we all do that. Very good, thanks. Yeah, and some, some is more and less formal. So we see biblical counseling here as basic Christian discipleship, one another ring, speaking the truth of God, truth uh, in love. And so, uh, but, but so, sometimes it's appropriate to formalize a process. And so Tim usually carries the football on, on the more serious things that require more gentle handling and is a counselor to, to community group leaders and to our elders as needed uh, when it comes to counseling. So. It's, counseling is really basic to pastoral work in as much as pastoral work is speaking God's word to people. It's just one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two or three. All right, um, let's see. Ron, what happens to the finances when the year's over and there's a surplus in the budget? <laughs> well, that one can be long or short. <laughs> yeah, that could be real long. <laughs> um, you guys probably look at the bulletins on Sunday. If you don't, you should. Uh, but one of the many numbers that Gail Renshaw, our finance administrator, and I track are, is the giving. Uh, we're finishing up our second fiscal year way, way in the black, which is fantastic. As in like 100,000 or a little over in the black. Before this fiscal year, which ends in, well, today. A because hours, yeah. yeah, a couple hours. Uh, spin, spin, spin. This, <laughs> this year and last year were great. Before the year before this. Uh, it had really leveled off, so you guys might not remember that far back. So 2008 to 2011, those bad economic years, we actually cut over 180,000 from the budget. The next few years, maybe 2011 to 13, it was just the same. It, we kept the budget the same, giving was the same. In the past two years, it's, it's been up. So I'm making this too long of an answer. I'll try to wrap Gosh, it up in Ron, 60 seconds. Taco maker. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's going to come out. Um, I'm actually writing about this for the email newsletter that you guys will get. Hopefully you're signed up for that within the next five or six days. So you'll see a longer answer there. So here's my attempt at the short answer. Um, because we've done so fantastic as a congregation in giving to church planting, which is right at around 200000 a year now, and has been growing up to that point. That's been our goal for, what, four or five years, Clint, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
that's been the real increase in giving right there. I mean, the biggest increase over the past four or five years, which really started in those hard years, when maybe you guys could have said, I can't give. I've got to hunker down with me and my family. And you didn't. Instead, you gave sacrificially. Um, because we've put all that to church planting and it hasn't gone to general budget, when we see increases in general giving, which is what you see in your bulletin, kind of above the SNAP giving, which is at the very bottom, um, the past couple of years that's had to go to infrastructure, which means facilities, programs, even salaries, just because those things have been put on hold during those five, six hard, lean years. So um, we've, did a, we've done a renovation to offices, we've painted walls around the building. Um, if you email me, I can give you 20 different things we've done that kind of went on hold for five or six or seven years. Um, so that's not really a short answer. No, that's good. Um, uh, but we've done stuff with facilities and programs and ministries, and yes, done some things with salary and benefits that weren't able to be done. Um, up to a year ago, uh, we didn't have disability and we didn't have any kind of retirement for our staff, which I know some of you guys would say that are in business. What, how could you not have that in place? So part of that was, was that recession we went through in 2008. So I'm hoping that if I sat down with you in my office and I said, here are the benefits that are now in place for staff, you'd say that's great, that should be in place. We should take care of our people that way. Uh, in fact, some we want to grow beyond what they are now. So I'll stop there. Thanks, Ron. And just so you, all of you know, when it comes to finances, uh, we're an open book with some qualifications. Ron's uh, always available to meet with you and talk and open up uh, spreadsheets with you. Um, he does financial updates. And Ron's really at the wheel with a lot of decisions and analysis and getting groups together to help make decisions at our church about, about spending and decisions long term. It's a ton of work. It needs the right head. Ron's got it, but, but uh, go to him if you've got questions along those lines there. They are welcome, we always are. Clint, hmm. we're making a transition here to a new section of the evening under the vision mission category, and uh, there's a, an Easter egg coming. Is it an Easter egg? How about there's a surprise? An Easter egg is something that's hidden that you find, but it's just gonna appear. Uh, all right, so uh, Clint. Give us an update on Redemption Church. How's it doing? Brief update on our church, first church plant. Uh, thank God for Redemption Church. Thank God for Carlos Griego and the church out there. I have two elders in place, a guy named John Creech. He told us a great story a few weeks ago whenever their elders met with our elders. And he said, we came to Albuquerque looking for a church plant to become a part of. And it was really cool to hear his story and how excited he and his wife were um, about being there. So we're excited about where they're at. They've, uh, we'll give some more updates at Missions Emphasis Week in late October about them. I just had um, a beverage with Carlos yesterday and he and I were talking and they are doing some cool things. They've moved into Ask Academy, which is a charter school. They collected supplies and backpacks, 32 of them brand new for the, school, uh, for the kids in those schools who were the most needy this year. They've uh, served, 40, the 40 or 50 adults that go to the church there served a taco bar for the faculty, the 25 faculty of that school. And recently that school announced that they're moving buildings and they invited the church to go with them and they want them to be in their new building. And so it's just exciting to hear what's going on over there. Um, they've had a rough couple of years as most church plants do in their second, third, fourth year. Um, they're thankful for that. They're thankful for who they are and where they're at. And we're thankful for that as well. I think we're all encouraged with where they're at. All right, 
No one submitted this, but I made it up. I think it's a good question. I've heard rumors. We'll I've see. heard rumors that DSC will be planting another church. Clint, this is a yes or no question. Is there any substance whatsoever to that rumor? Yes. <laughs> Clint, why would we do that? Isn't one enough? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last numbers I saw were that uh, 13 or so percent of the people in Albuquerque are evangelical Christian. And if you know someone who calls themselves a Christian and maybe isn't really one, then that number's probably actually in reality quite a bit lower. So there are a lot of lost people in our city. And uh, Paul took the Great Commission seriously. Many did. They were unnamed. And the gospel spread out all over the world. We are the result of that, and we are the means by which it continues. And we need to be making disciples that make disciples. And if that happens, Lord willing, this room will get full, and we do not intend to go to four or five or six services, or even three, really, unless we absolutely need to. And we don't want to build a new building. We want to spread out. We want to raise up preachers and people, disciple makers, to send out and plant new gospel outposts where they will take the scripture seriously, where they will take the spreading of that gospel seriously, where they will take loving one another and speaking to one another truth and love seriously. So that's why we're going to plant new churches. Who's that's why that rumor is true. Who's going to lead us in planting a church? Who's going to lead us? We, the, Jesus, Tim says. <laughs> Chief Shepherd. Chief that's Shepherd. exactly what Chief I was going to say. Um, Jesus has led us to a man. Um, we're thankful for him. We're excited about his preaching ministry. You all, um, many of you have benefited from it, either directly here on Sundays or indirectly. Um, but we're excited to announce tonight, and, and we're excited about what the Lord's doing in Nathan's life. And Nathan and Marcy are planning to go and be our church planters for this church plant. So it's with bittersweetness that we announce this to you guys. And we're excited, and we, we hope you're excited too. It feels great, feels great for us to share that with you all. We've been talking and praying about doing this for some time. Nathan, <laughs> questions for you. Um, and then when we turn it over to the open mic, I'm sure you all have some questions about the plant. Um, you and I go way back to Norton One, Dr. Vogel's preaching class. And You're shining we, the flashlight in his eyes. That, yeah, <laughs> where we uh, never talked for a whole year and mostly ignored each other and got, <laughs> became friends when he came on staff here. We recognized each other when, we were looking, when, we, when he was looking for this church. So, so some questions about, about the plant. Clint, Clint has shared with us why we would plant, why Christians, our church is committed to it. Why would you want to plant? Because not every pastor goes out to plant a church. Right. Yeah, so for three years, my wife and I were a part of a newly planted church in Louisville. Um, great. It was the smallest church that we'd ever been a part of, both of us. And it was really just close time of growing and friendships and community. Um, after seminary, we then took a two-year church planning residency where we raised support and uh, went with some friends uh, to plant a church. We were there for three or four months, even before their uh, launch phase there. Uh, and it was through those two years that we really began to have a heart and desire for church planting for many, many of the reasons that Clint just described. Uh, in the deepest way that we had ever experienced, we experienced a, a close and deep community who were uh, inviting their mission into that community. Uh, so all of their friends and coworkers and neighbors that they had were being invited into the life of the church. And then we were inviting our community and, the, and our church into the life of our mission. So we were doing all of this 
together with real, um, uh, because it was necessary, evangelistic energy and excitement. Uh, because to grow, statistically, uh, church plants grow through conversion, not necessarily just through church transfers. So um, it was through those two years that we began to be very, very excited about church planting. One reason why Desert Springs was, um, seemed to be a good fit for us, not necessarily because we thought that we would plant a church through Desert Springs or in Albuquerque. In fact, we always figured we'd spend four, five, six years here in Desert Springs in Albuquerque and then move back te- to Texas to plant a church. Uh, we, uh, we loved that Desert Springs was committed to planting churches, both globally and locally. All that said, uh, we, while we intended to move back to Texas, we began to really, really love Albuquerque. We began to really, really see those numbers played out that Clint was just sharing, that this church or this city is very, very under-gospeled We wanted to be a part of God's work uh, in advancing his kingdom here. And maybe more than any of all that, we began to really, really love all of you. (laughs) Uh, And the thought of moving back to Texas, sorry, I say that, tearing up a little bit. Um, The thought of moving back to Texas seemed unthinkable. Uh, So we're excited. We're really excited. Cool. Well, let let me hit you with a few sort of basic logistical questions all of which everyone will get more on as time unfolds. First, um, when is the plant going to plant? Yeah, so Lord willing, about a year from now, we'll be um, meeting in a core launch team phase uh, with Lord willing, publicly launched services uh, nearing the end of the year, probably November-ish of next year, 2016. Where? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, That's the shortest question of the night. uh, we don't know yet. There are several options of several parts of town that are on the table being prayerfully and strategically considered, uh, both amongst the table of these guys, but with also with uh, several other churches in town who are also committed to planting churches locally. So uh, we're, we don't know yet. We're, we would welcome uh, your thoughts as well in, in some of this, maybe not tonight, uh, but uh, yeah, we, we're we're moving towards that. We're not Just sure so you yet. Know, it's the end of the fiscal year. I've got budget things I'm working on. There are uh, missions emphasis weeks coming up. I've got deadlines. And Nathan keeps knocking on my door saying, can we go drive around town again? <laughs> like, it, give me two can't more drive. days, dude. Yeah. Two more days. So tomorrow we're going. Yeah. We're going out. We're driving around again. Yeah. The praying, question, praying and question for you is funding. So one of the how, one, an answer, a how question would be, how will this plant be funded? How will this plant be funded? By Jesus, um, <laughs> moving in the hearts of his people from various sources. Um, so like for redemption, it was almost all from within. And, and it's probably safe to say it was all from Desert Springs Church planting funds as well as their own internal giving. So those were the two big pillars. We're going to add a couple pillars to this, including um, some networking that, that Nathan's doing um, with other churches to, to ask for support. And again, a huge chunk will be from church planting giving here at the church. We're right at, as Ron mentioned, our, uh, we're right at the amount that it needs to be on a regular basis to support the in North Africa. So that's going to mean in the next year, 
Everyone considering and praying and asking God to provide even more through them and for folks who aren't given yet to, to jump on board to give towards church planting. Because we want to take that 4000 a week and get it up to about 5000 a week in the next 12 months. And that'll pave the way for planting uh, the next local church. It'll also pave the way, Lord willing, for sending more people to North Africa. Because again, just like Redemption, they're not on the DSC budget uh, perpetually, mm -hmm. like our missionaries are overseas. So. so a question about affiliations. So any church has a number of affiliations. How will this new church plant be affiliated? What will it be, its connections? Yeah, uh, uh, Redemption has been a part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. Um, we, we love that network. Uh, I think uh, I've found that the, there's a strong uh, regional chapter of the Gospel Coalition here uh, that provides many of the things that that network provides, friendship, accountability, networking, all of these things. Uh, so we, we probably won't be pursuing the Acts 29 Church Planning Network as Redemption did. Uh, one affiliation that we're really excited about, uh, that, which might be a surprise to many of you, is that uh, I'm going through an assessment process right now with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, to plant in and through uh, that denomination. Uh, we're really excited about that. I, I, I had never been a Southern Baptist until the three years in Louisville at Southern Seminary, which is a Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, and, but through those years, we became really, really encouraged by the trajectory of that huge denomination, that uh, association of churches, uh, in the direction that that's moving at a national level. Uh, there's a new and energetic generation of national leadership that's taking the reins of many of their programs, including uh, the largest missionary and church planning sending uh, agency in the world, uh, which if, if the Lord willing, this church plant was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we would be able to uh, associate with, give toward, perhaps even benefit from. Um, uh, another reason we're excited about the potential through the Southern Baptist Convention is um, Many of the issues that we've talked about in the first half of this conversation tonight, uh, you've already mentioned them, but the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, so a, a wing of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which speaks on behalf of Southern Baptists on ethics or ethical and religious liberty issues and speaks to Southern Baptists, uh, but they're, they're doing really, really good work uh, on behalf of churches and preparing churches for legally for the future. So I think, especially as a young church, it can only be a good thing to be associated with other churches who are thinking clearly about these things. We also want to be, we've, our church has really benefited uh, from a Southern Baptist seminary. Southern Seminary, uh, Trent and I both studied there. If you uh, do say so yourself. If I do mm, say so myself. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'd, like, we'd like to, uh, as, as this church plant, uh, be supportive of those seminaries who are just pumping out some really good and awesome. great, <laughs> just just good. <laughs> guys. Uh, uh, but lastly, lastly, we're excited about the potential uh, to, to partner with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because uh, Clint already mentioned funding, but there are uh, there are domestic church planting dollars available to us, which will free up uh, your checkbooks to go towards the Garretts and the Campbells. Uh, so for all those reasons, we're really excited about the potential to be a Southern Baptist church. Yeah.
It's neat. The SBC is committed to more church plants in North America. Um, Ryan, uh, some folks have, this question for you, some folks have uh, uh, different experiences with denominationalism and different experiences with the SBC in particular. What would be some misconceptions that we'd want to We'll be talking about this more as a church as we go to plant uh, a church tied to the SBC, but what would be some misconceptions you'd address maybe at the head? Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, I was an assistant pastor at a church for two years. It was a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I left there and didn't think I would ever be a part of a Southern Baptist church, and I'm not, Um, although Desert Springs was a Southern Baptist church for a period before I got here. Um, So I've had to wrestle with what is a denomination and, and what is the Southern Baptist Convention over the years myself. Um, I think some misconceptions that are important, I mean, one would be structural, that it is a volunteer association of autonomous churches. Um, they're partnering together, like Nathan talked about, primarily for missions, um, for church planting, and for education. Um, and so these are voluntary uh, autonomous churches. It's not a hierarchical denomination like Presbyterianism or Episcopal or Methodist Um, and so this is a a more of a partnership in some ways the quote-unquote convention um, only meets once a year it's one week a year where they actually convene and uh, and do some business Um, churches can opt in or opt out we at one point I I suppose before I got here they they opted in and uh, and before I got here as well, this church opted out. Um, I think there's some doctrinal misconceptions. It's important to know that the SBC is uh, sort of essential, evangelical, and yet otherwise diverse. Um, and so you have you know, Calvinistic and Arminian, you have some more charismatic than not, um, some more dispensational than covenantal, if you know what those things mean. Um, there's a, a, a doctrinal standard, the Baptist faith and message of 2000, and it's a lot like our statement of faith. It's essential orthodoxy, basically. Um, so there's some cultural misconceptions, I think. It, it does somewhat hitch a church to a, this is the way you put it in my office today, a big family with some quirkiness. Um, and that's just true. I mean, some or a lot. Depends on. Yeah, but I mean, just the name itself, Southern Baptist Convention, that's something that, you know, Nathan will have to explain to, you know, new age people in downtown Albuquerque that, what, what, why are you Southern Baptist? Um, Because they're not going to probably think Southwest uh, so much. Uh, It's also important to know that um, one church that you know of does not necessarily reflect the whole. Uh, of, or, or any specific church in a, a denomination like Southern Baptist Convention, because of its diversity, you might have had a really bad experience with a Southern Baptist church. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that those fingerprints will be left on uh, something planted new today. Um, the church plant will be autonomous. Again, it's not a hierarchical system. And um, each church will be able to decide and, and is able to decide its own ecclesiology or doctrinal specifics. I'll stop there. More to be said, but yeah, that's a good good introduction. Again, we'll have some some forums coming up to talk more about this. But to a really important question that would be raised, hopefully, in a lot of your minds, uh, Nathan serves very faithfully right now in a way that pleases the Lord, blesses you, has been really important for our church as a youth minister, minister to youth and families. 
So Tim Bradley, just in a bullet point or two, tell us what we're going to do about that. What happens from here? Nathan's planting. What will the transition look like? Yeah, I don't know if I can do that in a bullet point or two. So let me just start quickly. Uh, as illustrated by Nathan's tears, church planting, gospel outreach is both sweet and costly. And it'll cost Desert Springs Church in some senses. And yet we love that simultaneously. Uh, fully committed to it. Now, I may be tearing up a little bit because I love this man and his family. Um, we've been here before, Desert Springs Church. For those of you who have been around a while, it was not that many years ago where we scratched our heads and wondered how we were going to replace a good and faithful and godly youth minister in Greg Schneeberger. And the Lord surprised us in marvelous ways with Nathan and his family, Marcy, and the kids. So we've been here before. Certainly the Lord's been here before. It comes to mind for me as Moses and Joshua. Right? So how can Moses not go into the promised land? Uh, God has a plan. Uh, this is his church. And he'll care for this. We'll, we'll begin, we're already thinking about this, and we'll begin the process very soon in, in seeking uh, a replacement for Nathan. One sense you can't ever replace him. Uh, in another sense, somebody to lead out in the youth ministry. And uh, we're looking and hoping for overlap. So as we approach church planting next summer, we're hoping to have overlap between Nathan and the new youth minister. Good. Thanks, Tim. Our youngest is sixth grade, and so I've already threatened Nathan <laughs> or tried to force him to stay six more years yeah. for my kids to go through his ministry, but... It didn't work. I already tried. <laughs> so Nathan, if you could answer these, this last question, actually several questions and maybe just a few sentences. Who is going? Who will this be led? Who will, who will uh, this be led by? So it's, it's governance. What will it cost? How will the Sunday service be the same or different from DSC? And what will the children's ministry be like? Well, to answer your first question, we've prayerfully decided that uh, the core launch team for this uh, church plant will be the second service. So if you've been, uh, uh, if you've been attending the 10:45 service, you're going. Uh, I have a picture from last week. Yeah, just kidding. Uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, beginning. Clint's going to interview Marcy and me um, at the missions emphasis dinner in October. We'll where we'll probably be able to talk more specifically about some of these specifics and answer many more of your questions. Uh, the first informational meeting will be in January we'll, where uh, we'll start to gauge your interest in being a part of this church plant where the elders will then make a strategic decision which who, who, who would be the best core launch group both for the church plant and for Desert Springs. Um, we'll answer all those other questions, Trent, that you, that you asked in October and in January at the first informational meeting. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Isn't this exciting, folks? Mm -hmm. so, um, we're going to do 20 minutes of Q&A from the floor. So Nathan's going to hit the ground with his mic. I'm going to have a seat. And we'll have you out of here by 8 o'clock. Okay. We, we good? Yep. All right, so just a couple of ground rules. Uh, if I see you, raise your hand, I'll come to you. Uh, you stand up, 
Uh, I'll, I'll hold the mic, and then uh, just if you could give us your name and then a question, and then I'll throw it to one of these guys on stage. So what questions do we have for this evening? Bossy little church planter. <laughs> the Lord. Yeah. My name is Phil Ward. I just was curious, what is the, you talked about the wedding policy. What is the church's policy now on usage of the facility? Is there, is there a policy, is members only, or I'm just curious who gets, who can use the church for other events, or because you just talked about weddings. Ron, you want to take that? Yeah. Um, it's actually good for a number of reasons that we solidified that kind of policy a few months ago. Um, so a short answer would be the usage for the facility is for ministries of Desert Springs or partners that we minister, that we uh, have it put in place. So CareNet would be an example of a partnership we have locally to be one of four or five or so partnerships that the missions department has. So let's pretend that CareNet says we need a place for a, an informational meeting for 100 people to meet and a microphone set up and a table. We can't do that at our facility. Can we use your church? Um, it wouldn't be an automatic yes, but we're certainly open to that, and we would try to, to facilitate that. Um, the reason I said it's, it's kind of good we came to that is that uh, we basically say no to 9 out of 10, maybe more than 90% of the requests that come through. Um, some are from you guys. Some are from people that have nothing to do with DAC. They're just a dance uh, studio or an instrumental recital or a sports team that wants to do a banquet here and um, really we've got to say no to those so it's it's better to say let's just say no to to all of those and come up with the ones that we say yes to because we don't want to do something like favoritism um, you know I don't want to say yes to to Trent when his kids are on a soccer team and they want to meet here for their end of year banquet and then I'm saying no to you guys. And we haven't done that. We, we've not done that ever since I've been here and probably before. Um, so if you guys are part of even a Christian ministry and you need a place like the youth room where you can do something with 100 people, just know that the answer is probably going to be no. Um, and again, you could come by and talk with me, email me. We can go through further reasons. But as of a few months ago, we went to the extreme of saying it's members and it's partner ministries. Uh, and that's for just a bunch of reasons. Um, maybe one of them being that if we say yes to everything, even if this has nothing to do with this discussion we had earlier about sexuality and gender, um, if we said yes to everything, when people say, hey, it's just me and 30 people for a birthday party, uh, I guarantee you, Chris sitting back there and, and Ian who does our facilities and Drew who does music, because often you guys want Drew or one of these musicians in there, they'd quit their jobs because Every weekend, they'd be here after hours uh, working and facilitating and, and cleaning up. What other questions? Coming to you. I'm Jamie Wiseman. Uh, just a kind of a follow-up to Phil's question. Um, are there facility prohibitions that we don't, bad word, are there things that we cannot do here at the church in maybe the youth department? Are, are, are we available to use the church for youth functions? Um, it seems like most of the youth functions are in Nathan's house. And um, <laughs> so I'm just wondering, is there, is there a policy that says we don't use those, the facility for youth functions 
or I, I can just answer the, the youth question. Uh, we, we do quite a bit here as well. Okay. Uh, we just like, we, we like people at our house. So, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, so specifically with youth, um, we, do, we do quite a bit here as well. Uh, but any, Tim, you want to answer anything more specifically? Yeah, so there's, there, there's no policy prohibiting in, any of the Desert Springs Church ministries from using the facility for any number of things. Um, sometimes there are logistical reasons not to do it. Uh, so I oversee the homeschool co-op, and typically they like to meet every other Friday. That's a ministry of this church. But there are things like Claris, where there's just a lot going on that would prohibit them at certain times from using the facility. But, but for Desert Springs Church Ministries, we want to use the building that God has, has given us and entrusted us to, to further that ministry. Uh, so there's two components, really. If it's Desert Springs Church, absolutely. But there are some logistical considerations. What else? We can definitely answer some questions of things that perhaps have not even been brought up. Doctrinal, theological questions, or anything else? My name is Mary Jo Zunick, and um, I just want to say that I've been blessed by um, being at this church. I grew up in Zuni, New Mexico, and um, went to church there, but we didn't have the depth that the church has here. And so my question is, um, how is the church, or has there been any discussion about growing in mission fields in our Native American communities? Um, I think there's a lot that could be done there to strengthen existing ministries, but also to um, to address even high rates of suicide among the young kids there. Clint, you want to take that, Clint? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mary Jo. Um, so, yeah, we want to push back against darkness wherever we can, and uh, we're really thankful for and excited about Western Indian Ministries, Chuck and Cindy Harper, who's, they've been serving, gosh, for more than 25 years in Native America, um, but as well as uh, Chuck's parents as well, who are retired from full-time ministry, but have really left a legacy of love for Native America. They are trying to really transform WIM, Western Indian Ministries, to be less of a ministry just to the Navajo people, where, because the Navajo people have been very open to the gospel, and there are many churches planted there, yet many of the other 19 or 20 or so Pueblo peoples up and down the Rio Grande have really not been as open to the gospel historically. And I mean, we've got stories of, of persecution one generation ago, two generations ago, of people who are the first Christians in those people groups hearing the gospel and being persecuted. So um, we, we're, we're, we're trying to follow their lead in that. But uh, I've heard grumblings in Albuquerque, especially at, at other churches that we consider sister churches about um, seeking to plant churches in and around some of those Pueblo peoples. So we would be all for that. Um, but there's nothing uh, hard and tangible right now as far as the, the Pueblo peoples yet. Um, there are historically Catholic churches on site for most of those Pueblos that were brought in by the Spanish. Um, lots of syncretism there. I'm sure you know about that. But um, the bottom line is many of the Pueblos, you have to have permission from the Pueblo to do anything new in there. So for someone to plant a church uh, inside in their language and, and, and try and integrate it into the culture, it's a very difficult thing. And so we pray for the people who are on that front line and we try and encourage them in it. And 
Um, on the Navajo side, on the existing church's side, we want to continue to encourage their pastors specifically. We do Christmas stores, we do service stuff like that, but uh, we're talking about doing some pastoral training as well there. And uh, for any young and upcoming leaders in the Pueblo peoples, we'd w- want to watch for them too and train them too and just work alongside them. What else? Again, perhaps in response to something you've already heard or something that you've just... All right, Randy Pierce. Oh, hang on just a second. Let me grab Randy. I'll come right back. I'm super fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ryan, I had a question for you. you you've just spent the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years, I don't know, working on your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I could ask Sarah. She'd probably say longer, but... <laughs> what what has uh, why why did you pick John Owen if you could explain br- briefly and then how has that helped you personally how do you think it helps the church and then how does that help the larger church this this scholarship this pursuing of a higher degree I think I'll answer about half of those but uh, those are good questions um, I don't want to take too long to talk about that though um, so I started uh, doctoral studies back in 1998. So Randy is not too far off. <laughs> uh, and I started applying in 97, so we're getting real close to two decades there. Um, I got interested in John Owen because I was, I was interested in the Puritans. Um, I, I loved their melding of doctrine and devotion. Um, and to, a lot of things you study academically, and there's not devotion that goes along with it. Um, so one, I thought it would be good to read and study guys who wrote in English. I didn't know at the time that they also wrote in Latin, so I had to learn Latin. But, uh, but uh, English, and uh, they, I loved their melding of good doctrine with passionate devotion, and uh, at some point I had to settle on one Puritan, pick John Owen, started going from there. Um, what was the next question? How does this help the church, Ryan? How does it help the church? Indirectly. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I think if anyone in here read uh, the dissertation, you'd go, really? We were praying for this? <laughs> uh, Nathan read it. You can ask him. Um, Don't read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, it is a, a theological slash historical study of mid se- mid-17th century English politics in theology and culture. So uh, there you go, right? I've already put you to sleep with that. Um, I think indirectly how it's helped, I think, you know, there, there are a, a group of scholars who are sort of writing the same field and we banter back and forth and debate things and, and so I'm sure it'll be something to consider um, in that field. But uh, the, the indirect benefit from the, for the church is um, I think it's really helped me with thinking, researching, analyzing, uh, articulating. Um, I think there really is no shortcuts. I think what the amount of work it took sort of produced something in me, even if it's not apparent on a Sunday morning or something. Um, I think I analyze things differently than I used to, um, think differently, know how to see something that I didn't used to see. So I think even just biblical interpretation, I think it helped there as well. Um, and then, and then studying theology, whatever century it is, and seeing its relevance for, um, to, for, for the future is, is always good. Um. Okay, unfortunately, we have time for one more question, so we'll, this will be the last one here. So I'm Jane Cook. Um, 
you said if we had issues with the statement before November 1st to come to talk to you and we could leave the church without any discipline. Then we started talking about employment and career decisions. And to me, the implication was if you made that decision to bake the cake, take the picture, whatever, after November 1st, you could be subject to church discipline. So I just want to make sure I understand or what, what exactly the, the policy is on that. Trent, can you take that? All right, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, and I, uh, I'm, Nathan, we can probably do another question. Depends on how long I talk. Um, Keep talking. I'll start talking. So there are maybe 100 questions that could be raised from the stuff that's on the paper you walked in with. What to do in the context of your job and how it affects your business is one of the questions that you all submitted in the course of our interacting with you. Um, let me say this. What we've stated in the doctrinal statement that is entailed for membership is nothing, nothing more than what you have been held accountable for by the very word of God in our church as members up until this day. Um, we're making a concession for those who, because of the atmosphere that we're in, have become members but have not agreed with that, what we've written there, uh, to, to leave membership without church discipline. There are some things that we might put in a doctrinal statement one day, that I don't think we'll have to one day, that would also be assumed whether they're in there or not. We're gonna hold you accountable for the Bible's commands concerning murder or concerning lying, um, but they're not in the doctrinal statement. Does this make sense? So what we've added is we've made explicit what has been entailed with your commitment to the word of God as from God and clear since you became members. With respect to the question about job, that's, uh, there's a little, the line between the statement we're releasing and that question is a little longer than immediate. So we're not, we're not saying there are things you can do now, you can't do tomorrow. And the reason we went to Ryan for the question of, so how do I adjudicate these things in my job is because there are, there are sensitive, difficult, important questions to ask in the course of your work. We have a printer in our, in our church who's asked to print it could be asked to print a same-sex marriage uh, piece. And um, I think he made the right decision in doing what he can to, to remove himself from that possibility by no longer printing wedding invitations. Now, people with different jobs will have different sets of considerations and we wanna help you with that. I should say that we would be concerned if in the course of your work, so to alarm you a bit, you will be put in situations where you will be asked to participate in meaningful and public and active ways with your art form or whatever, to celebrate and visibly, publicly condone a same-sex union, which is an immoral union, an abomination. You can't do that. And you need to be careful to come to us and to open up a conversation about it. Um, church discipline only happens where there's unrepentance for sin. So let's say you sin in this area and your, your eyes open, you come to us and it's no problem. That's normal Christianity. That's called growing. Um, does, that, does that help you? Okay. And Jane, if I can just stress, when I did this thing that, well, Trent did this thing, right, the, the, the two axes, uh, I said we, we are not drawing a line uh, in saying these yeah. things are confrontable and these things aren't. We're, we're not going to all agree. Some will be more conservative. Some will have a, uh, sort of like movies, right? Some will have a more conservative conscience than others. Um, 
Yeah. Yet but there are some that are super clear. If one of the guys up here started officiating same-sex weddings and did it in an unrepentant way and would not heed the calls of his brothers, then we would be disciplined off of eldership and then out of the church. Yeah. So there's an extreme for you, and then, you know, there's a whole scale from there. Yeah. yeah. We talk about this stuff a lot. We read about this stuff a lot. These are tough nuts to crack. They're very important pastorally. Come to us with your conundrum. Let us, let us uh, work it through together. And this is the topic at Claris this year. I mean, essentially, it's not just marriage, but it's various theological, social, political issues that are swirling about in our country these days. Um, it's how to think about them and, and what our worldview should be and how to, how to Christians navigate this pilgrimage. Which we'll be announcing on Sunday, so be here for that. Yeah. There's a Claris tease. Trent, what do you think? One more question or no? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Any more questions? Yep. My name's Jesse, um, and we live beneath Colorado, and they allow uh, adults of consenting age to smoke marijuana. So if New Mexico legalizes marijuana, should a Christian be able to do that? I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. We have not talked about that, have we? Who wants it? How about Ryan? Ryan? Who wants it? You had to say one more, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. one yeah, more. Yeah. Vote up or down right now. Anybody? Uh, Jesse, thanks for, thanks for putting that at the end. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a very tough issue. Uh, what really, Trent and I were just talking about this today. We're due for doing a blog post on this that points you in the direction of the best resources yeah. and, and helps you think about that because uh, not only, um, yeah, I mean, we're up in Colorado, right? I mean, Christians go to Colorado from New Mexico, so uh, it is an issue even for New Mexican Christians as well um, before there's possibly any legislation passed here. Um, so let us do that. It, that would serve you better than anything we could say in three sentences or less. Um, I don't think it's just an issue of legality. Let me say that. I don't think it's just an issue of legality. Um, so I'll leave it at that for now. And it's also not an equivalent to just tobacco either. Like there's, there's things to be said and qualification to be made for sure. Yeah. And there's the medicinal part of it. I mean, it's, it's just a complex thing that, that deserves a, a thought-out answer and some good resources to point you to, which um, even after that question, all the more we'll, we'll be sure to do in days to come. But one that we'll undoubtedly need to be thinking through very soon as Christians, uh, very soon, perhaps in our state, but certainly as Americans, we'll need to be thinking through this clearly as well. So we'll do that. And so, Jesse, uh, you'll have to tell your friend we'll get back to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can forward him the link. Well, let me do this. Uh, let me read to you very quickly from 1 Peter 5, where Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be reveal revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
These are good words from Peter. Let me very briefly here, just a couple seconds each. Uh, let me start with Clint, and let me ask you guys uh, to share with your church uh, something that you are either thankful for that God is doing here or that you're excited about. I'm excited about church planting in North Africa. I'm excited about the Campbells and Garrett's being there. I'm excited about Nathan going out and some of you all going with him towards those ends. I'm excited about $80,000 in our ABBA fund, which is meant for loaning and granting towards adoptions. Get to adopting people. If finances were hindering, it's there. Go. I am uh, excited about four families in process of adopting, two just coming back recently from China. It's an exciting time to be in our church when it comes to adoption. And then I, most of all, I'm excited about my wife and those two dudes back there who are pretty good soccer players, and they just listen to us when we talk about sin and the gospel, and I'm thankful for a church that encourages that and challenges me towards that over and over. Tim? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for how many children are actually here tonight. Uh, this is a, a wonderful thing to see children incorporated into the life of the church as we are passionately committed to this. And, we love that, and so so thankful for their presence here, from moms and dads who are, are leading children at home and leading children here in the context of, of our larger community. I'm thrilled for the unity and the maturity that I see taking place here at Desert Springs Church. Uh, I teased these guys earlier that when we made the announcement of Nathan, we were going to hear a, ah. Oh, and what we heard was applause. And that blessed my heart tremendously that you guys are committed to the gospel, even at, at the, the cost that it will be for us personally in some ways and, and relationally. Uh, I'm thrilled uh, for the maturity and God's grace that is evident in your lives. Um, I'm excited about um, continuing to preach the word at a place where it's received so, so, so well. You guys love the Bible, and uh, it's a pleasure to pastor and to, to teach and preach here. I'm excited about the next eight years in North Africa, and that's because I think back to the last eight years leading up to now. Uh, I'm thinking of a, a time in Tim Ray's house in spring 2007 when a group of, I don't know, 30 of you had been praying for the next unreached people group. And it had been narrowed down to three groups. And then that night, it was announced that it was going to be at that point what we were saying. As, um, and at that point, eight years ago, the dream that Tim Ray and Clint and a few other key people had was a team, not just a single person as a missionary or a married couple. And I think this past eight years has been the neatest thing I have seen in my Christian life, where God has, again, raised up giving, raised up a true team, had a church come around these two families, and now they're feet on the ground uh, and started in terms of a ministry there. So I cannot wait to see what happens and what God does in the next eight years. Yeah, I'm excited about Nathan and Marcy planting this church uh, coming up next year. I'm thankful for um, the servants. Uh, like Ryan said at the very beginning, what encourages and uh, it's people just uh, serving the church. It's being plugged in, it's getting into community groups. Um, I'm thankful for community group leaders, new community group leaders we got coming all the time and, and, and the growing community groups, it's a great thing. 
I'm thankful for community group leaders who've been doing it for a few years and wanted to break and when asked to stay with it another year or two, agree to do it joyfully. And um, so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for um, women coming during the week for uh, women's Bible study to take care of the kids so that other women can, can be a part of that. Um, so just really just everybody who is continuing to sacrificially serve in the church, uh, it's, it's a real encouragement and a blessing. Uh, I'm excited uh, for Sunday. Um, I'm every week, not because this Sunday is going to be something unusual or special, but because it's special when the saints get together uh, under the Lord Jesus and to meet with the living God. And um, I get the privilege of most weeks uh, preparing a sermon in the second half of the week. So Thursday morning from that on out is um, very Sunday focused for me. And uh, so... You know, hopefully you do that a little bit of that on, on Sunday morning. You wake up, you do some Bible, you do some um, thinking, praying, preparation of your heart for, before coming in corporate worship. Um, I get the privilege, amazing privilege, of spending you know, three, four days or something like that uh, in some ways, at least spread out over three or four days. So, yeah, I'm excited for Sunday.